Angel gets his wings. Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection. Today we take a break from interviewing entrepreneurs and go back to our roots with an angel investor. I'm really excited about this interview with our guest, Marsha Darwood, as she isn't just any angel investor. With Marsha, we explore the different flavors of angel investing from Pittsburgh to New York, down to Dallas, and then over to San Francisco. And we do it with an interesting twist as we explore it from the view of a movie from our past. So enjoy today's interview with Marsha. Marsha, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. We're going to have an awesome time these next 50 minutes. So everybody else buckle up. It's going to be a fun conversation. So Marsha, if you don't mind, if you're at a cocktail party and somebody comes up to you and introduces themselves and you get into your little conversation and they say, what do you do? What's your explanation? I tell people that I help entrepreneurs' dreams come true. Ah, what an awesome, awesome explanation. I love that. <laughs> um, so, and the true definition of an angel investor, right? That's right. So, and mentor and everything else that comes along with being an angel investor. So, which are the cool things that we're going to talk about today. So, we were. So, how many places have you lived in and been an angel investor in, Marsha? You live well, Charlotte. I my, yeah, I started my journey in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, being invited to an angel investing meeting. I had no idea what angel investing was, uh, never even really heard the term much. And so went to the first meeting. I was totally fascinated by all the things that were happening in my own backyard. And uh, it wasn't very long after that, maybe about a year or two, that we ended up moving to New York. All of this moving was because of my husband's job. And uh, I started to see the ecosystem there and I'm like, wow, this is different. And so kind of without trying, I became a little bit of a liaison between the two groups that I was now a part of. I was part of a group in Pittsburgh where I first started. And then I joined a group in New York called Golden Seeds and they invest only in women-led companies. Well, from there, uh, we moved to Dallas and I kind of started to see the ecosystem there. At that point, I was already a board member for the Angel Capital Association. And there is a Texas association of all of the Texas angel groups. So I got to be a part of that and kind of saw everything that was going on in Texas. From there, a couple of years later, we moved to San Francisco. That was very interesting because normally people, you know, hear about angel investing or they learn about things because of Silicon Valley. And I came to Silicon Valley after having this whole other tour of the rest of the U.S., and kind of got to see a little bit about what was going on there. It's uh, There's a lot going on at every stage, every level. If you wanted to go to, in New York or in San Francisco, if you wanted to go to a startup event every night of the week, multiple events, you could totally do it, whether it was in Silicon Valley or San Francisco, the city. And then from there, we permanently moved to Charlotte, although I've been um, kind of half resident of Charlotte for uh, since 2008, because my stepchildren live here. Yeah. I, well, it seems like you've been a half resident or maybe a, a quarter resident since I've known you as, as much as you've been kind of moving around here lately. Right. Right. So as we were talking about before, I saw, I saw an email come across my desk th today from a, a company FLX. And as I saw it, the, the first thing that popped into my mind was the, the word flux capacitor. And, you know, obviously that was Doc Brown and Back to the Future and, and his invention that led to time travel. And I knew that we had our phone call later and I was like, oh man, Marsha's lived in all of these different, you know, angel investing communities. 
And I wonder which ones she thinks would have invested in the flux capacitor before it was successful, right? So here you go. You've lived in these different communities. Which community is, and and I know it's not Charlotte, right? I love my natives or my now hometown, but Charlotte's not investing in the flux capacitor. I can assure you that is which ones would and why? Well, yeah, that's such an interesting question. When I think about the different areas I've lived in and the types of investments they make, um, you know, angels have to syndicate or else a lot of these companies are never going to go anywhere. So it's not like one angel group could make the flux capacitor go somewhere. So it's kind of like you'd have to get multiple groups. And since COVID, everything has come so much online that there's a lot more deal sharing and a lot more syndication that's happening that wasn't really happening before COVID. Um, in places like Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, um, you know, places in the middle of the country, there was a rule years ago that if you had to really be able, even Charlotte, that you had to be able to drive to the, to be, you, an angel investor wasn't going to make a a uh, investment if they couldn't drive there, see the entrepreneur, have a meeting with them and drive home before dinner. So, so you'd have to kind of judge your distances, right? You're not going to, if you're living in Charlotte, you're not going to make a, an investment in Las Vegas or something like that. Right. So, but nowadays that's kind of all changed and, and there's a lot more syndication that can happen. And one of the things it's not the flux capacitor, but Back in um, really from like about 2010 until about 2020, there were a lot of places in the middle of the country that were working on a deal together. And it was for a company that's working on an Alzheimer's drug called Cognition Therapeutics. And the amount of uh, syndication that happened with that particular company was super interesting because they ended up raising just in their series A and, and prior, so this was several years, they did the seed and the A, and then they ended up raising $29 million just from angels, which is like outrageously high amount for a company, right? You don't see stuff like that very often. So pooling money together, especially the people in the middle of the country has been something they've had to do for a long time. Like for example, when I lived in Texas, um, there were two big angel groups. One was in Houston and one was in Austin. And those two groups had a ton, almost all the deal flow for the state. But then there were a ton of other angel groups in El Paso and, and all of these uh, Lubbock and other places. So they would rely on the groups that were in Austin and Houston to be able to provide the deal flow, but then they would also invest. So, so they had to be super tight. They, they all had to be like best friends. And, and it worked it really did help a lot of the entrepreneurs because then the entrepreneur would pitch to the one big group, they would do diligence, and then all these little groups would kind of follow suit. Um, so you saw a lot of that happening in the middle of the country. In New York and in San Francisco, you, there was a little bit more competition for making sure that they got the deal flow. And you know there were a, it was definitely different in the coast. And that's why they talk about the coast being one way. And that's why you see the valuations being higher there than you see in the middle of the country. Yeah. So, um, uh, so Charlotte's not middle of the, uh, um, middle of the country. It all depends on what the other person does as to whether or not they follow suit. 
and San Francisco and New York are going to duke it out over the flux capacitor. Is that what I heard? Is that probably, fair? Probably. Yeah. That's, okay. a, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> All right. So, um, so you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you, you got invited to an event. Um, take us back in the, in the time machine, right? With the flux capacitor, we'll stick with it. Um, how did you become an angel investor? Like what was your original expectation of walking into that meeting? Like, how did you come out of it? And like, what was that first little time period like, right? Because I mean, that's a lot of folks in Charlotte as they're just trying to get their feet wet. Where were you and how did you handle that? Sure. So I walk into this meeting, it's in a law office, but, and I'm like thinking to myself, oh, this is kind of fancy. These offices are fancy. And then there's this little paper sign on the door that says, you know, the angel investing meeting. And so I'm like, okay. So um, anyway, I walk in and my husband's with me and he's in finance. So I'm like, what is, what, what, what exactly is this meeting like? And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, you know, figure it out. And it turns out that, um, Catherine Mott, who ended up becoming my mentor and a very good friend of mine, and is just like an incredible angel investor and venture capitalist. Um, she was hosting the meeting and she very warmly greeted us, asked us to come in. And, and I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing a lot of men besides, of course, Catherine, who was running the, the meeting. And I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. Um, I, you know, we, we all kind of sat in this like U-shaped table and all of a sudden, then there are, are companies that are pitching some different entrepreneurs or showcasing, you know, their different in, uh, things that they're working on, their different inventions. And I was just so incredibly fascinated. I had no idea that these things were happening. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I live in Pittsburgh. And I thought these things only happened in like Silicon Valley or like big places with like, you know, but it turns out that Pittsburgh is pretty cool town. Of course, I've, I'm a little biased because I did live there for a long time. Um, but there are schools there like the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, and there's a lot of amazing innovation coming out of there. So I remember sitting in the first meeting and uh, one of the companies presented and then the group started to discuss terms. And I was so lost. I had no idea what they were talking about. They're starting to throw around all these terms like pre-money valuation and, and a convertible note. And I was, I lean over to my husband and I'm like, Hey, you're in finance. Like, what are they talking about? And he's like, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it's like angel speak. Right. And so he's like, I've heard these terms before in relationship to like big MA deals. He's like, but they're talking about something that's very small and then like early. Like this is like totally different. So it didn't take very long to learn, but I just remember sitting in that first meeting and thinking to myself, whoa, I I really have no value to add here. However, that is absolutely not true. New angels always have value to add. Because I ended up asking a question and the whole room turned to me and it wasn't, it was more about the product than it was about, I of course wasn't asking questions yet about the terms, but the <laughs> whole room turned to me and they were like, oh, wait a minute. We didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. they were so focused on the terms and all the angel stuff. They weren't even like, hey guys, wait a minute. This is a new, you know, an early company. What about this? Oh, wait, we should think about that. So I always encourage new angels that you, you absolutely have to ask questions. Don't be shy. Don't think that the other angels know it all because we absolutely don't once you get to know things. But it really didn't take very long to learn. And um, 
it was super fun. I loved going to the meetings because you never knew what type of innovation you were going to see. You never knew what kind of story the entrepreneur was going to tell. I, I, in a little bit of a way, I felt like it was like story time, you know, you could like sit there and you'd get to hear like how they started the company and why, and what their mission and vision is for the company and how they're going to grow it. And it just, I, I just was completely in love with the whole thing. So fast forward and at this stage in the ball game, you've served as the chair of the board for the Angel Capital Association. Um, you've served as an advisor on the Small Capital Formation Committee of the SEC. Yeah, that just started in June. Just started. Well, you, okay, so you're serving. Um, mm -hmm. And you've been an angel investor in numerous different groups and numerous different companies. And you're an advocate for angel investing. So what do you tell, like you, you're back at the cocktail party, right? Um, what do you, so other than helping, um, what was your tagline again? I'm sorry. Oh, making entrepreneur's dreams come true. Yeah. So the next question is, well, what the heck does that mean? Right. So right. how do you break? Cause it, there is that barrier, right? You go to that first meeting, you're just worried because you watch Shark Tank and it just seems like I have to have a billion dollars to be an angel investor. Right. So there's all of these different hurdles that naturally pop up as soon as you say, Oh, I'm an angel investor. And everybody's, Oh, I'm not shut down. Right. Like, right. how do you, how do you help people get past that shutdown mode? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, when I did the TED talk in uh, at TEDx Charlotte in uh, October of 2022, I had a lot of people afterward that came up to me and said, "Oh, we're inspired. You know, now what do we do?" And it isn't super easy to say to one person, you know, this is what you should do. Hence the reason I'm writing a book um, to try to give a little bit more guidance and give people uh, some different places to go, but. You know, it really kind of depends. It's a different answer for everybody. But if there is a local angel group in your area or there are startup events, like in the TEDx talk, I talk about you going to Google and, and trying to see like what startup events are happening in my area. Because even if you just went and started to see about the innovation that was even happening around you, and it is happening everywhere, it doesn't matter where you live. Um, there are going to be more and more things that are coming about. So I always encourage people just to start by watching, just see what's happening, go to a meeting at an angel group if, if there's one in your area. If not, there's tons of things that are happening online. So there are different um, platforms, especially now that equity crowdfunding has become a bigger thing how anybody can invest for as little as like 50 or a hundred dollars. So there are, you know, um, websites, for example, like republic.com, you could go onto that site and you could just start looking around at the different companies that are fundraising right now. And you wouldn't have to do anything. You wouldn't have to put any money in yet. And then you can just kind of watch. And then as things progress, that's kind of how it all started for me. Yeah, no, it is a, it can be a spectator sport for a long time, right? You don't have to get in and play the game on the very first opportunity that you see come across the desk. And people can invest in another way besides money, at least especially to start. They could be helping, just be a mentor, be a sounding board. Um, everyone has a skill that they could offer to a startup. And people don't think about some of the skills. This is a really early company. They could just need help with bookkeeping or 
I mean, the list goes on about the things that a startup needs so that you can start to get some of the things away from the CEO so they can just drive forward on building the company. So, or even if you're just a good, you know, listener, you can just listen to some of the uh, CEOs and kind of help them out just with letting them vent or, or having, you know, a way that they can feel that there are more people around them and kind of supporting them uh, emotionally and um, physically. Well, sometimes it's just the connections, right? You might just happen to know somebody from your childhood days that's in exactly the position that they need in order to have a breakthrough, right? It doesn't, you know, to your point, it doesn't have to be contributing money. It can be contributing in a gazillion different ways. Exactly. And going to those angel meetings or listening to them online or whatever, um, you oftentimes hear them say, you know, this not in addition or not only are we looking for money, this is where we're, you know, looking for support, help, guidance, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you, you mentioned it a little while ago and obviously listened to it. You did a TEDx talk, um, last year, October, or we'll call it fall of 2022. And in that you share some, um, some, um, some good little points that I just wanted to talk about today. Um, you shared the story of the phone call that you received from your mom after you'd been an angel investor, right? So you received the phone call from your mom in 2016 and you started angel investing in 2000 and did you say 2010. Okay. Um, so would you mind, since would you mind kind of walking our audience through the phone call and kind of your, how, um, how you saw it through your lens as well. I mean, not only as a daughter, but on the other side too. Mm -hmm, sure. Right. So in 2016, my mom was diagnosed with ALS and um, we were very fortunate that the ALS association was very generous. Um, these charities do amazing things when people are in need. And so things like stair lifts and walkers and, wheelchairs and all of those things were made accessible to my parents, which was great. And that's through the ALS association, right? So right. you and give that's money, through a nonprofit, a charity, yep. you get right. money, they help people deal with the immediate effects of ALS. That's exactly right. However, what most people don't know is that the annual amount of charitable giving in the U.S. is $475 billion, which is a lot of money. However, that is equivalent to only about 1% of the value of the U.S. stock market. So if we want to affect significant change, we have to not place the burden all on charities and nonprofits. We have to look at for-profit companies too, helping them when they're small and helping them to grow, which is how I got so passionate about, especially after I saw an effect to my immediate family, I went looking what are the things that could help my mom? There are no cures or even treatments for a disease like ALS. So I'm now hunting through all kinds of things, asking startup entrepreneurs, other angel investors, have you seen anything that anybody's even working on? Anything? And I had seen a company, I wasn't an investor yet, but I had seen a company early on um, the one I mentioned earlier, Cognition Therapeutics, that was working on an Alzheimer's drug. And um, I had learned because of Dr. Google, that's kind of how I had to learn everything about ALS that I found out, um, that ALS, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's are, are like uh, sister neuromuscular and neurological diseases. 
So um, anyway, so I, I started to research this company. I knew the CEO. So I went back to them again and I talked to them about, hey, is there a possibility that what you're working on could actually help somebody with ALS? And they said, yes, it's possible. We're probably a long ways away from that. And, you know, they were very realistic that it probably wasn't going to help in the next, you know, month or so. Um, but I eventually became an investor in that company and, you know, been very uh, supportive of them in, you know, many different ways, kind of like what we were talking about before, helping them to get to know other investors or even opening doors when they needed it. And uh, they, they're, they're a good example of a company that is a for-profit company that's trying to solve a big problem. And they they can then get access to more funding than what um, the nonprofits could do. Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, right? I mean, you think about uh, broadband coverage here in the U.S. and how um, you know it would be great if there was a nonprofit out there that helped people get internet access um, in remote locations and how much it would cost to allow that type of thing to happen. And then you realize that, or you could just give some money to you know Elon Musk or one of the other companies out there that's providing broadband coverage. And yes, it's for profit, but it solved the problem in a very unique and um, way that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, so, and hopefully the same thing happens with a lot of these diseases, right? I mean, ALS and, um, and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and other things. I mean, there's entrepreneurs out there that want to solve this problem. Um, and the nonprofits do too, right? It's not that they don't want to solve it. It's they're just trying to figure out where can their resources be best plugged in. And oftentimes they're complementary. And, and that is so true. And I think that's one thing that, you know, in talking to people, especially over the last year after doing the talk, that, you know, it is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with charities. They are absolutely wonderful. Um, and they're trying everything that they can to do the best work that they can, but they don't have the level of funding that's really needed in order to make all of these significant changes. So we have to be looking other places to help them. If we, if we just put the burden on them, it, and then we're disappointed. It's like, hello, you know, we need to do more and we need to get funding into other places that can then be a complement to them. For sure. Which speaks into your tagline on LinkedIn, right? So your LinkedIn tagline, I love that too. You've got great taglines. I need to hire you to give me some good taglines. Um, it says do good while doing well. Um, expand on what that means to you. I mean, it's obvious, oh. right? But just kind of talk us through it. Oh, well, no, I mean, it, it, it can be obvious. And then in other ways, you have, you could think about it and it could be a whole bunch of things. Um, so, you know, when you're thinking about doing good, uh, that would be like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to volunteer. Or I'm going to help somebody or I'm going to do something good. I'm going to pay it forward to somebody else. And I'm going to do something good for someone else. Um, but then to say that you did well, usually equates to, you know, doing something that would be mean that you're getting ahead financially. So in a lot of cases, when people say that they did well, they're equating that to something maybe like the stock market or having like a, some kind of an event where you would have a, a stock or mutual fund and it would get appreciated in value and now you've done well. So in this case, you can do good and do well. However, in a lot of cases, the perception out there, one of the myths is that impact investing or investing for impact, meaning that you're trying to invest and do good. So you want to invest in something like clean water or, you know, the Alzheimer's drug or anything like that. If you do that, well, you're probably going to sacrifice your return. 
And that simply is not the case anymore. So to say that you can do good and do well is actually very, very true. You know, women, for example, do not get, you know, even close to the amount of funding that men get in the venture capital world. And in some cases, people think that another myth is that if you invest in a woman-led company, um, you're probably not going to get as much of a return. And that is absolutely false because there have been multiple studies that have come out that say that uh, women-led companies, and this doesn't mean uh, all women, this is more like a diverse team that has a woman on the team, um, are actually performing better than their male counterparts. So, you know, diversity is important. Um, looking at the things that we can do in order to help the world be better is important. And then the idea that you can do good and do well at the same time is something that I'm hoping more people will embrace. Yeah. If we, so true or false, if we get more women angel investors in the room, we'll invest in more women entrepreneurs. 100% true. Um, why do we struggle getting more women in the angel investing room? Oh, that's a whole other book to write. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, it's tough. Um, and okay. So I'm, gonna, I'm getting to, to your, to your answer. I'm just going to deviate a minute, which is that there, uh, I tell the story about how my husband and I had some, let's just call them discussions about the amount of golf that he plays. <laughs> and eventually I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I really don't care so much that he's going to play golf. What I get annoyed with is he'd come home and he'd be like, Hey, I got to play golf with, you know, and then he'd like name some, like start name dropping. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do you get the, you know, access to these people and this network? I, I want access to that. And then a couple of people would say things to me like, well, you should just go learn to play golf. I'm like, no, that's not the point. Okay. Women, we don't have quite that same network that men do. So in, in answer to your question, you know, women haven't been kind of in these generational networks of either golf or, or where you work or uh, working is probably the biggest one. You know, women have really only been in the workforce to the level that we have been since, you know, World War. And, and then we're even in the last like 10, 15, 20 years, it's changed so much. You see yeah. so many women who are doing things in STEM now and they're becoming presidents and CEOs of companies and they're just, you know, making huge strides. But that whole network that has taken men just centuries to build, we don't really have, right? So we need to get to a point where we have a little, we have more of that and, and that it, it also becomes easier to explain even what angel investing is and why somebody should do it. Um, the book that I'm writing right now is not a how-to book about angel investing. It's a why-to book. Like, why would somebody want to do this? Why would they even think about it? How does it fit into their life? Because it's going to fit into everybody's life a little bit different. People have different risk tolerances for things. You know, these are all of the reasons why we, it isn't necessarily that we can't get more women into the room. We can't get more people into it. We need to get more people into the room. Yes, we need to get more women into the room too, but we need to get more people into the room. I, I got to a point where, you know, I was kind of like, 
I can't keep, I personally can't keep writing checks. I don't have that kind of money. And, you know, maybe I should go play the, I think the mega million the other day was like a, a billion dollars. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should buy more tickets. It you was know? one and a half billion and I didn't buy my ticket. You know, I mean, I, yeah. you know, how, how am I going to win if I don't buy a ticket, Marsha? Exactly. How are you going to win if you don't buy a ticket? I know I should have bought some more tickets. But anyway, so, you know, these are the types of things like I would get frustrated because I'd just say, well, I can't be the only person like I, there has to be more of us, but it can't be like five of us. It has to be, you know, many, many more. And in, in some cases, it just means that people would surround these companies with the support we were talking about. Maybe it's networking support or it's other help. Maybe it's through crowdfunding. So they, you know, somebody doesn't have to invest thousands and thousands of dollars, but they could just make a contribution kind of like they would to a charity. Or there are people out there who really do have the means to be able to help. And they they also could be investing. And in a lot of cases, I know lots of people that have made angel investments and done extremely well um, financially from those, you know, by getting those returns as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, kind of staying on the, on the woman topic um, a little bit, you've gotten involved in some of the, in, um, you're actively involved in woman, women led or women focused venture funds as well. Right. Right. Like, and then you've also, because you've been a member of the angel capital association for, um, at least quite some time. Right. So, um, do they think the same Do women focused, funds kind of view things the same way or do they and you almost think they should and do view the investing through a different lens is it um is it obvious the way that old school um country club angel network functions and a women focused um venture fund um looks at things is there difference of opinion not difference of opinions or difference of due diligence and stuff like that in other words are women more thoughtful (laughs) of course they are yes (laughs) Uh, no i see what you're saying i would say uh they look at the possibility for investment very similarly from the standpoint of the diligence that that's done you know we all want to see you know does the product work how are you making money can you make money are you already making money all those types of things um how are you going to grow the company Um, but having diversity on the team, whether it's, you know, through anything, gender, race, uh, it could be having diversity of thought because people grew up in different areas or they went to different schools. All of those things help a company to grow. And I'm just a huge advocate for helping these companies to, and, and helping these funds to look at companies so that we are seeing, we're, we're already seeing preliminary uh, studies that are showing the results from diverse teams. So if we can kind of back that up and as these funds are investing or even as angel groups are investing and if they do diligence in the same way and we're really helping to mold and support the companies, not just financially, but helping them to put together everything that they need in order to grow the company, then I think um, we're, we're all gonna win. Because to your point, Yes, we want to look at uh, diligence. Similarly, we want to make sure that we're investing in good companies. But every startup has its own set of challenges. Every one's just a little bit different, or they all have a little bit different set of needs. So really, as a fund manager, um, regardless of who's running the fund, they should be looking at how can they put 
the support around the company in order to help them to grow. Because most of the time when we see companies fail, it's because they either ran out of money, period, <laughs> or they they really just couldn't get the traction that they needed in order to hit the milestones so that they could continue to raise. So then what did they do? They ran out of money, right? Yeah. So majority of the time, the reason why they're not uh, successful is because they just simply can't hit the ground running and make traction. Yeah, no, absolutely right. So, um, and sometimes traction is just not possible, right? I mean, I remember right. somebody long ago um, held out a piece of paper and said, this is the, this is the infinite world of, of ideas that are out there. And then they drew a little small square in the corner. This is, this is the world of possible good business ideas. And then they colored in a small little square within that and said, this is the idea, or this is the world of successful business ideas. Right. right. Um, and so, I mean, there's lots of great ideas out there and they're not all going to be commercially valuable ideas. Right. And that's, the risk that the the angel investor makes along the way is we're going to invest in these ideas and some of them are going to fit in that box and some of them aren't. Um, and, you know, hopefully you get the box and you get your, your, um, your lottery check at the end of it. Right. That's right. But to your point, um, I would rather bet on a company with a good idea and a great team than a great idea and a good team. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Right. So. It's the team that's going to take it to the end. So even if they have just a good idea, that whole idea of getting the team to take it to the, to the end line, that's, that's what matters. Ooh. Okay. So we're going to go here for a second. Um, I hadn't thought about this, but what's your definition of a good team? Well, okay. We've talked about diversity. Yeah. Um, having the right people in the right jobs. And, you know, there's a, there's a group um, out of Cincinnati called Kinetic Ventures, and they actually use a personality test in order to have the team kind of matched up to see, is everybody on the team the same kind of personality? Is there, or is there enough diversification of their personalities in order to build the team? Because if you have too many of one type of person, on the team, they're not going to do that well. So for example, I'm an executor. Okay. I'm not a visionary. I know that. So if somebody has this great idea, I can take it to the finish line, but I'm not going to be the one to come up with the idea. So you need people like that. You've got to have your operators and then you've got to have your visionaries. But in a lot of cases, the visionaries aren't the ones who are going to take it over the line by themselves. They really need the whole group. Yeah. It's a and rare... one can't get there without the other. Yeah. Do you, so, um, so you've been an angel investor long enough. Do you see, and probably over this time period, um, you've seen the transition from solo founders to team-based founders, right? Oh yeah. And I mean, it's, it's been a huge sea change over the course of probably really since you've been an angel investing out, cause I mean, you started before I did, I didn't start until I joined the Charlotte angel fund in 2015. So, and by that point in time, you were seeing mostly co-founder relationships, right. But, um, it is, it's a big impact, right. Cause you, you, there is so much, there's a wealth of information out there and how does one person process that information? Right. So anyways, so, um, Angel Capital Association and SEC Small Business Formation Committee, um, similar or different? 
Totally different. <laughs> so, Completely different. Yeah. The Angel Capital Association is like the professional society of all angel investors in the US. So we're trying to do things like educate. We have a public policy arm. We collect data and um, and we're trying to basically be the gold standard or the place that um, people would come who want to learn about being an angel investor. And okay. people can join. Uh, they can join an angel group. And if their angel group is a member of the ACA, they automatically become a member of the ACA. The SEC Small Business Capital Formation Committee that I'm on, we are advisors, there's 16 of us, and we um, make recommendations to the Securities and Exchange Commission, which sometimes actually goes to, to Congress as well, um, on what we can do to better get capital to small businesses. And so we focus on things like the accredited investor definition, and I'm not sure how much uh, your listeners know about that, so I'll just very quickly. It's basically the financial thresholds that the SEC has laid out to say whether or not somebody can invest in a private company. And um, we are always trying to expand that definition and add sophistication to it. I personally don't believe that just because somebody has money, that makes them a good investor. They really should. I don't I don't care if somebody had just billions of dollars. Well, maybe if they had billions of dollars, they could just give some of it to us and then we'd, we'd decide what to invest it in, right? But, but regardless of how much money people have, they really shouldn't just be like, hey, that looks good. That looks shiny object. You know, I like that. I like that. And start writing checks. It, it, it does take some time to just learn and look around and see what you like. There's always going to be startups that need funding. So you don't have to think that you're going to miss out on the next Google because there's so many things that are happening all over the place. And I just think it's important that people um, that we, you know, help them with that and, and add sophistication to the definition. So that's really what the SEC committee is doing. We're trying to bring awareness more than anything. I mean, the SEC rule on accredited investors, all it really is, is a risk capacity definition, right? Do you have the capacity, the financial capacity to take risk? That's exactly um, right. And so, yes, you have money. So you have the financial capacity to take risk. It doesn't mean you have any idea what you're doing. Um, and you can lose money just as fast as the person and faster than the person that doesn't have financial capacity, but has intelligence in the concept that they're investing in. Right. So expanding that rule and it kind of has some over the years and y'all are still tweaking it. And I would imagine in some instances trying to make it more and more open. Um, but it would, it would power empower folks to invest more locally than they can right now. Right. Like it's almost like today in order to be an investor, you have to invest in, you know, S and P 500 and a corporate company or whatever, and that shouldn't be the case, right? You should be able to invest in the local startup or someplace else, right? That you theoretically can't do. Right. I mean, people can go play the lottery. They can go gamble at a casino and there's no limits to that. But yet there's, they couldn't even invest $10 into a startup unless they hit their credit investor definition. Ooh, what a good point there. I like that. Right. So That's stuff that kind of drives me crazy because, you know, I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, the SEC is concerned about fraud. They're concerned that grandma is going to get a phone call and then get her bank account drained. Okay, but that is an angel investing. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, it, especially when you're investing in a group, which we always, always, always encourage that you're investing either through an angel group or with other angel investors, because the power of the angel group will help you with diligence and kind of 
vetting out things that would be potential fraud. But in the 12 years that I've been an angel investor, I have personally never seen a fraud case. I've heard of maybe two or three in all of the thousands of startups that I've heard about, but I have not personally had any of that. Yeah, we always get emails from our long lost uncle in some place that needs a couple of thousand dollars only That's to be right. locked at yeah. this location, right? No, um, I get people, I get I do get legitimate entrepreneurs though on LinkedIn that say to me, Hey, we need fifty thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my goodness, no, yeah. no, don't <laughs> don't send me any, a message like that on LinkedIn, please. Yeah. There's <laughs> a diff, there's a different way to try that. Right. Um, right, right. So coolest. Um, coolest startup you've ever invested in, um, oh would be, and I, I mean, in the back of my head, you know, I almost go instantly to the, um, to the, um, to the autonomous drug that you invested right. in, right? I mean, that's super cool because that's right. truly that definition of do good by doing well, right? If it does well, then you've also done tremendously because I mean, think about the impact. Um, but like, so separate that one for a second because that's just got to be right up there um like uh like the flux capacitor have you ever invested in the flux capacitor uh well there's been some really cool tech companies for sure yeah. in the some of the stuff that they're doing this one company in particular scout they um have people uh millennials pool their money and then they would um have them be able to invest alongside their favorite um, football hero or, or, you know, sports figure. And I like any type of a company that's encouraging the younger generation to save or to invest and to do things that are going to, you know, be for good. So they would actually do things like, oh, don't go to McDonald's today. Why don't you take your $4 or $6 or whatever that you were going to spend on your coffee or your sandwich or whatever, and you could go and put this into your account and then be able to invest it. So anybody who's doing things like that, I, I love stories like that because those are the things we need. We need the younger generations to have a lot more access to information about financial health, which will lead then to wealth. But yeah. I feel like in um, in the school systems, they just really don't teach things about personal finance. And so the by the time that a young person is on their own and trying to budget and even think about an investment strategy, it's just so daunting that they probably are losing a lot of very valuable time. Yeah, no, you're right. So, and you don't have to name it, um, but you've invested long enough that some of your investments have ultimately ended up fizzling out, right? Oh, a couple. Actually, yeah. Not as many as you would think, considering how how many companies I have exposure to just because I'm in a couple different funds. And usually yeah. when you're in a fund, you know, you get multiple. Um, but one in particular, I won't name names, but the one in particular was, which is the very first, uh, one of the very first companies that I invested in the company went under basically because the CEO just decided he needed to go get a job and that was it. Goodbye. And I was like, Oh, Oh dear. Wait a minute. What happened here? What so, about that idea over there? Go yeah, back wait, and wait a minute. I thought, I thought you were like, yeah. Yeah. So that didn't, that didn't work out so well, but um, you know, like I said, a lot of the companies that don't make it, it's basically, they, they run out of money because they didn't have the right team and they didn't, they weren't able to hit the milestones. Yeah. What led you ultimately to your concept of a, um, let's start first place. 
what made you decide to do a TEDx talk? Well, uh, that's a good question. I went to, I went through a program called Heroic Public Speaking, and it's a class for learning how to write a speech, but mainly to perform a speech. And I thought, oh, well, I have to do a lot of speaking, you know, with the Angel Capital Association. I've been invited to speak like in other countries, um, talking about angel investing. So I thought oh, this would be kind of a cool class to go to. And it was just beyond cool. I I can't say enough good things about it. We can put a link in the show notes to the the program. Two actors started it, Amy and Michael Port, and they are incredible. And so in it was really transformational for me because I started writing this speech and I started talking about what happened with my mom and then about being an angel investor. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I think I have like a, a like a theme here, this kind of go beyond giving theme, like you can do more, you can do good while doing well, all of these things kind of came out of that, um, that class. And uh, I just decided, hey, I wait a minute, I said, wait a minute, I, I see that TEDx Charlotte is having, um, you know, having events again, because of COVID, they they had stopped for a little while. And so the application was due in like two weeks. I just stumbled upon it and I'm like, maybe this is like serendipitous. So I put in my application and I went to an audition and then I got called back for another audition. And next thing I know, I was on the stage. Boom. And you did awesome. So, um, so TEDx, um, you've also are stated, I think a couple of times on, on this podcast that you're in the process of writing a book. Mm-hmm. What was the uh, kind of driving force saying, hey, wait a second, I'm going to write a book about this? Yeah, um, because I'd so much rather play with a spreadsheet than write anything. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I was definitely not somebody who was the English major. Uh, math, yes. <laughs> English, yeah, I, mean, I can get by. Um, but I'm getting better. I'm getting a lot better. People keep telling, saying to me, don't put yourself down like that. But I'm like, okay, well, I'm just being honest. I like spreadsheets better. But <laughs> um, but no, I, I really saw the need because of the talk and talking to people afterward, they'd say to me, well, now what should we do? And I'd, I'd want to spend an hour talking to them about what they should do. But obviously I can't do that with every person. You know, everybody's situation is a little different based on, you know, their level of income or their level, the amount of time they have or where they live or who they might have access to or the types of startups that are in there. I mean, there's just like so many pieces that could lead to that. So I'm putting together um, basically what I'm calling like a halo strategy so that people can think about, and this could be for, I, I mean, this is something I wish I had, and I, I can even use it to this day myself. And it's kind of like, what is my thesis? So we talk about an investment thesis for a fund, but every individual should really have a thesis too. What are you going to invest in? How much money are you going to invest? I wish I would have had that cap at one point because I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I have to be done. And then I would see another company and I'd be like, where could I scrounge up just a little bit more money, you know, because I like this company so much. And then I'd be like, okay, seriously, I have to stop. Yeah. So um, this is really to try to help people put a guide together so that they feel empowered and they feel like, oh, okay, this is doable. This is something that isn't going to take me oodles of time. I, it's not going to break the bank. You know, it's really just something I can dip my toe in the water. And then as time goes on, I can expand and expand, but it's really just a starting point. Yeah. So when's it, uh, when's it going to be due out? Do we know yet? 
I'm not sure yet. Talking to publishers right now. So we'll, uh, we'll see. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hopefully 2024 at some point. So awesome. And you host a podcast too? I do. It's called What's The Angel podcast? Next Door. How okay. anyone can invest in change. Nice. How long have you been hosting it? Since 2021. Okay. So, uh, I have 36 episodes that have already are already out. And then I was doing seasons, yeah. but now I'm going to weekly uh, starting in September. So I will have, by the time this airs, I'll probably have another 10 episodes bank. So we'll starting September 7th, we're going to weekly podcast and not, we're not going to stop. I like it. And you're on all the more, <clears throat> sorry, all the major places for podcasts, right? Right. In fact, I just found this new thing called Podlink, where you can go and search for a, um, a podcast that you like, and it will give you all of the places. And there were literally like 15 places that you could listen to the podcast Okay. based on the RSS feed. So it was pretty neat. Um, that's awesome. On my website, actually. Yeah, we'll we'll link to it as well. Um, best way for somebody to get started is uh, read my book after it's out. <laughs> um, really, like I said, just start looking at what's in your area. Find out about startup events. Start going to those. Um, find out if there's an angel group in your area. Ask if you can go to a meeting. Um, Every angel group I know of will let you come to at least one or two meetings before you'd have to make a decision about joining. Greg so, Brown, let me, Greg Brown at the Charlotte Angel Fund, let me go to five and yeah, eat five go. free meals before Greg finally came <laughs> out and said, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing here? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And there's platforms online you can look up and, you know, I've had, I actually was just talking to uh, a new, newer friend of mine. Um, I've known her for about a year. And I asked her, how did you get in, introduced to angel investing? And she said, well, I Googled angel investing and the Angel Capital Association came up. So I joined. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> like, now, here we are. That's so good. What an awesome university led groups. Good. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love university led groups, mainly because they're seeing all the cool stuff. There's yeah. so much cool stuff that's going on at universities. And you know what? It's sad because in some cases, the stuff kind of dies at the university because there, a lot of times there's just not enough people to commercialize the cool stuff that the university people are doing. So there has to be, uh, that's another, that's a whole other thing that should be tackled is like, how do we help these universities, especially these professors that are just have these amazing innovations that are coming out of their classroom and there's nobody to take it anywhere. You know, the crazy that when you mentioned that, um, so went to NC state, right. So, and have seen, you know, the wind for a while and familiar with wind and see, you know, those things come out of it. Uh, I'm on the, you know, I'm an alumni of NC state. I mean, wouldn't you think that you would just, you know, in some way, shape or form connect alumni with your, right. Like just, uh, there's, I mean, they've got all this data, they've got all these resources, they have everybody's contact information. Why would you not just say, Hey, wait a second. Um, this company's pitching this idea and these people have this major, why shouldn't we blast this out to all those majors and say, here's this startup concept that we're um, incubating who has an interest in it. Yeah. Right. But maybe, yeah. uh, maybe that's too much information. <laughs> so, um, but it's been awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. So yeah, great. So it's been a lot of fun. I you know, love, um, again, I love listening to your TEDx talk. 
and, you know, just kind of, you know, back and forth a little bit about your experience as an angel investor and how you're kind of helping others through that, those eyes that you've developed over the last decades. So you're doing phenomenal work and greatly appreciate it. Love the fact that we have you here in Charlotte and can't wait to see you out in an event where we talk to other soon to be angel investors, right? Love that. Yes. So, anyways, well, thanks so much for your time today. Good luck with the book. Um, keep you. us posted. We'll certainly, as you publish it, we'll shoot it out to our newsletter and let all of our listeners know about it. So, um, but thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. William Bissett is owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.